Welcome to And With Your Spirit, a homily podcast that takes preaching out of the sanctuary and moves it into your daily life. Let us make ourselves open to the voice of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the feast day of St. Paul Miki and his companions. They were Japanese martyrs from around 400 years ago. For the times where we have failed to live with the courage, the same courage to continue to pronounce our faith, even when other people are not accepting it or persecute us for it, let us call to mind our sins. A few years ago, before I went to seminary, I was involved in the FFA, the Future Farmers of America. It was basically like my entire life. For two and a half years, that's pretty much all I did. I was on the road a lot, and one of the trips we got to take with the organization was we got to go over to Japan. And in Japan, we visited with the FFJ. There it is, future farmers of Japan. It exists. While we were there, we visited with that organization to help build them up because they're still kind of young and growing. Uh, We also met with a bunch of uh, corporate partners who are sponsors of our organization. Mitsui, a bunch of agricultural companies, basically, plus Toyota, too. Toyota's one of the largest sponsors. Actually, really quick side note. We got to meet with Toyota's global vice president for community relations in the boardroom of global Toyota's headquarters. And the table in that room was so large that each seat had a microphone and a speaker because you couldn't hear people that far away in the room. But it wasn't like stadium seating, it was like one giant table, right? I was 19, it was the coolest thing in the world to me. (laughs) Well, one of the things I got to do there, not that trip, but a, a different trip when I went on as my first year as a priest, actually, I went back as a consultant with the FFA for the FFJ trip. Uh, I went as a consultant, as a priest even, when we got to Tokyo, um, the first thing I wanted to do when I got there was to find a Catholic church. Good. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Give me some credit. I'm a Catholic priest now. Not, a, not an arcade, not sushi. Right. So I wanted to find a Catholic church. And sure enough, within walking distance of our hotel was a Catholic church that had mass like four times a day. A lot. It was by a university campus. I went to mass there. It was sparsely populated, kind of like around here, like 20, 30 people at a daily mass. Uh, We had mass. It was super early in the morning, super early. It was like 6 a.m. or something, but that's pretty early for us, for me. Went to mass and walked back to my hotel and went on with the rest of the day. Well, when I was there at that mass, uh, I began to wonder, like, how did the Catholic faith grow and subsist here in Japan? And I went to begin researching on my phone in between our visits that we had over in Japan. Well, that all goes back to today's feast day. Because without today uh, and without the preceding events, there would never have been a Catholic church for me to go to in Tokyo six years ago. And there wouldn't be a Catholic population there. So in 1549, St. Francis Xavier was the first Catholic to arrive on the shore of Japan to preach the gospel. He was actually, he and his companions, were welcomed with open arms. Uh, They were very respectful of the culture. They comported themselves with dignity. And over there, it's um, it's very important for you to look dignified in public all the time. In fact, like when the cell phone rang from somebody on the subway, 
they would say, sue me my sin, sue me my sin, sue me my sin, which is, excuse me, I'm sorry. And they like tell every single person around them on the metro, I'm sorry. And only after all that would they say, hello, <laughs> right? And as soon as they'd say hello, it, they would go, hi, hi, which is not like, hi, it's like, yes, right? And they'd do it as fast as they could and they'd hang up and they would go back around everybody. Sue me my sense, sue me my sense, sue me my sense. So sorry, right? There were no public trash cans. You didn't eat or drink in public. That was rude. If you had trash, you'd have to throw it away at home like the government's not in charge of your litter. Um, so, so the missionaries, when they got there, even back then, they comported themselves with great dignity and they learned the language, the Japanese language, which is like half the battle when meeting someone. Can you understand them? And will you go to their, will you meet them where they are? Well, after just like 20 years or so there, um, thousands of people converted, thousands of people. Um, in fact, 300,000 had converted by the time that Paul Miki came on the scene in the late 1980s. Um, he was born in Japan to a wealthy family. His entire family converted to Christianity. And after they all converted, he heard a call to give his entire life to the gospel. For him, that meant joining the Jesuit order because that was the most prominent group that was what St. Francis Xavier had brought over was the Jesuit kind of form of education and formation. He joined the Jesuits as a brother and for 13 years remained in formation while also catechizing, preaching, and teaching other people the faith. Well, it was 1587. Um, some Buddhists were getting upset about how many people were converting to Christianity from Buddhism. In fact, they thought that the Christians were trying to take over so that they could take over the government. I don't think they sent any spy balloons across or anything, but good cultural reference. <laughs> but they were getting nervous. Like, are, are the Christians here actually just to prepare the groundwork so that all of us lose our culture? And so they complained to the, the emperor, uh, Hideyoshi, it looks like Hide Yoshi, Hideyoshi. They complained to him and said, we're really nervous about this. And then tension began to kind of form in the political and ruling class. And so finally, Hideyoshi wrote an edict and said, all right, enough's enough. Every Christian has six months, every Christian missionary has six months to leave. Christians who are here can remain. Christians who are missionaries must go back to Europe where they came from and nothing bad will happen. Well, for the most part, Christian missionaries listened and they left, except for a few, they were underground. And the Christians who were there began to live their faith kind of in secret. Um, the few that were already priests performed the sacraments and those who didn't have the sacraments um, did what they could. They got together on Sunday and read the Bible together and shared prayers as petitions and offered an offering to help the poor and sang songs and then went home. Um, and none of them left after communion because there was no communion, right? Well, they, they lived their life as much as they could. Well, until a few years later in the at 1590s, a, a Spanish ship wrecked off the coast of Japan. And when that ship wrecked, it was looted. And the Spanish captain was very angry um, about the looting. And he went to the emperor, Hideyoshi, same guy, and said, um, you know that the people who were sent here, those missionaries, they were only here in order to prepare the groundwork for all of us to have an invasion here soon. So give me my stuff back, right? He was talking smack is what he was doing. Well, Hideyoshi got very concerned as an emperor and he started saying, okay, if that's true, then my edict, which outlawed Christianity, no longer just applies to missionaries. Every Christian must recant their faith or die. As an example, Hideyoshi rounded up 
26 Christians in the town there on the coast. He rounded them up and said, you're the first. They tortured them briefly and then sent them on a 600, 400 to 600 mile march to Nagasaki, a town that would later have an atomic bomb dropped on it some 100 years ago, 80 years ago. As they marched across the entire island of Japan, these brothers and laymen and priests did nothing but continue to preach the gospel. Beaten and tortured, bloody and bruised, embarrassed because they've been sleeping outside and marching for a month, they were still telling everyone, you need to join what we have. I mean, sometimes like when I go to a mass or a youth event or an adult event, it's so awkward or unwell run that I'm like, nah, this isn't Christianity, right? They're suffering. They're being persecuted. And they're still inviting people into it. Like, this is still better than what you'd have without it. Come on in. Well, they finally got to Nagasaki where they were going to be martyred. And when they got there, there was a hill prepared with crosses on top. When they saw the crosses, one person said, uh, one uh, witness said, that all of the missionaries and all the lay people began to sing the Te Deum. You are God, we praise you. You are God, we adore you. All creation worships you. Begin to sing the Te Deum, the, the, the highest form of worship that we reserve for solemnities and, our, and feast days in our Catholic Church. They began to sing that because they realized they were going to die the same way that Jesus did. Each of them were then given the opportunity to go to confession one more time. Thank God for that. How many of us are going to get that chance? You know you're going to die and you get to go to confession right beforehand. Like that's a huge gift, right? They got to go to confession in their chains and they were mounting up on their crosses. And as they're on their crosses, Paul, Miki, who was still not even a priest, he was just a brother. Actually, uh, one biographer said he was just a couple of months away from being ordained a priest. So he missed it. But he was he's a saint, so he's got that, right? He's up on the cross and he gave what he said, what he was, as he was speaking, um, he said was his greatest sermon ever. He said things like, the people who are persecuting us, I forgive you. I wish that all of my brothers who are here and sisters, everyone in the crowd, would convert to the true faith because only through Christianity is anyone saved. One person even said that he said something along the lines of, I hope that my, the blood that is spilled from my body falls like a fruitful rain. It'd be difficult, to put it mildly, to be thinking anything besides, oh my gosh, I hate everyone, I'm dying. To be, to be the pain alone. But here they were making their final stand. Four of them were kids. Four of them were young boys that were killed in this group of martyrs. And here they are dying for the faith. Well, they died, they were buried. Christianity was outlawed, and everyone thought that it had died. By the mid-1800s, I think it was 1854 or 1864, somewhere in the mid-1800s, um, the emperor, now new emperor of Japan, finally said, uh, religion is free across the board. You can be anything you want to be, believe anything you want to believe. And when he said that, missionaries went back to Japan to try to restart Christianity from the ground up. Only after they had gotten there and had settled in did they realize a few months later that there were actually pockets of secret Christians still living the faith for 250 years without priests or ministers or missionaries to teach them. Still living secretly, persecuted. 
And because of that, because of, because of those tireless Christians, like, like you, not like me, I would have been killed or ran home to Europe, scared. Because people were living their faith as much as they could. Those missionaries were able to make the faith explode in Japan again. I think that's why it's there today. In fact, if you go to Nagasaki, you can go to a monument up on that hill, the same place where Paul Miki and his 25 companions were all martyred, and see that even the government has now recognized there was something about them. And that something has subsisted, even to today. When I think about Japan, one of the things, my own trips there, uh, one of the things I often call to mind was the visit at Hiroshima, where the bomb was dropped, one of the bombs was dropped. As I went through the museum, everything in the museum, it was all told from the Japanese perspective. It was telling people who were visiting that basically Americans got angry, where we were trying to get oil in the Pacific or something like that, and that that's why we were aggressors and attacked the Japanese citizens who were unarmed. As I read that history, it like it stirs something in me like, that's not true, right? We were trying to protect lives. We were, we were the one, we were answering Pearl Harbor. We, we got our story, right? Doesn't matter. What I think about now was that that bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, those bombs in Hiroshima in the 1950s. But there was something much more explosive in the 1500s. Something that changed more lives than those bombs as bad as they were, did. And that is the gospel. There is nothing more dynamic, nothing more like dynamite, nothing more powerful and effusive than someone hearing the good news that they are saved and then living that and telling someone else about it. If you haven't done that recently, heard the good news, lived it well, or told someone else about it, Make today your gift to Paul and his companions by doing what they would have you wanted you to do that they were martyred for.